Aloha Kako, you're listening to Native Stories. Native Stories exist to share the voices of those connected to the land. Native Stories' vision is creating a resource for Pilina or connection to place, and Native Stories aims to activate Indigenous perspectives. Aloha Kako, Vao Nanea Loko, you know, no Papukuleo Oahu Mayo, Nohoaoma, Texas. Hello everyone, my name is Nanea Lo and I come from Papukulea, Oahu, but I'm now residing in Texas. And mahalo nui for joining us on another episode of Native Stories. So we have today um, Darren Lee Lieberman. And I met Darren actually through Twitter. And I know a lot of you here through my interviews um, here since I've been in Texas and D.C., um, I have a lot of Twitter friends and I'm a huge advocate for Twitter. I've had Twitter for like 10 years and I feel like it's a reliable source of information and um, connections, especially for indigenous and native folks. So yeah, plugging in Twitter and Darren is Dene and De, as well as Ashkenazi Jewish and Spaniard. He is a current student at Arizona State University studying sustainable community development and currently resides in Odom Territory. Sorry if I got that wrong. Um, Phoenix, Arizona. His interests are in environmental planning with an emphasis on sustainable ecosystems. He is a native practitioner and does beadwork pieces in which he sells through his Instagram shop. Um, you can at him at oceansun.bear. He donates 10% of all of his sales to the Navajo Water Project, um, who provides running water and electricity for Navajo families. Welcome to Native Stories. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, Hello, my name is Darren. Uh, I want to thank you again for having me. This is a really cool opportunity. <laughs> yes, I, I feel like this is a long time interview coming or episode Um because I feel like you have a lot of interesting insights, especially with urban planning and climate change. And I just think you have a lot to, for our listeners to hear from. So who are your ancestors? And um, yeah, I mean, because you have a very diverse background, like a lot of Native and Indigenous people are, but um, maybe if you could share with our listeners um, how you're really connected to that place and space. Okay, so that's a kind of complicated question in a way. I'm sort of like from everywhere, if that makes any sense. Uh, I'm originally from San Diego, California. Uh, I lived in Texas and New Mexico. The longest place I've ever lived was New Mexico. Um, and I moved to Arizona three years ago. Um, and I currently reside in Autumn Territory, uh, which is the Phoenix area. Um, I feel, I definitely feel really connected to Arizona because of the fact that one of my tribes is from here. Uh, I used to live two hours away from my other tribe, uh, Mescalero Apache, but around that time, I was very conflicted with my identity because I was so mixed. Um, so I didn't really like... I guess I didn't, it's not, I was gonna say I really didn't acknowledge it, but that's not the case. I think I was just kind of, I didn't really care about it. I was like, oh, whatever, like, I'm just daring, like, that's it. Um, But when I moved to Texas, and I was living in San Antonio, uh, a lot of people just assumed I was Mexican, which is like a common thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would like listen to them what I was. And so 
the biggest thing in Texas is like a lot of people are like, oh, like I'm like Cherokee or I'm this or I'm that or like my great grandma is this. And I'm like, oh, like that's cool. Like I never really knew how to respond to that because I don't want to question them because I don't like to be questioned. Um, but the the thing that kind of changed my perspective was one, I had somebody actually tell me who they didn't know that we still existed. And then um, that was around the same time as like the whole pipeline in uh, the North North Dakota with the Standing Rock situation was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that kind of awoke me um, into wanting to care more about my culture, uh, which kind of ties into me moving here because I've always been drawn to Arizona. I didn't know what it was. I've never, I never lived here as a kid. Um, and I moved here and I met a lot of native people. And so a majority of my friends are native. A lot of them are Navajo. And I feel like that's kind of me coming here was the best thing that happened to me because now I'm like learning my language. I'm like learning my culture and kind of being more, trying to do my best to reconnect with the tribe. I feel you. Thanks for sharing that. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting because like a lot of people that I've been um, connecting with through Native Stories has been sharing, yeah, their own story of where they're from and how like they've moved around a lot or their ancestors have like, you know, their grandparents have moved, moved out around a lot. And so they're in different spaces, but it's, I think it's amazing sharing with our listeners about the diversity of how, yeah, resilient and adaptive, like even nowadays us as Native people are. Um, so, so you've only been in Arizona for like a few, how many years you said? Like a few, like two or something, right? It's been three. Yeah, three years. Um, so can't. If it's okay to ask, like, how is Arizona right now um, during COVID-19? Um, honestly, it's kind of like it's not even happening. Like, the governor issued a, like, shelter-in-place order. But it the way that he issued it, it's more, like, suggestive. And, like, if you're going to the stores or something, like, everybody's, like, congregating at the parks. And, like, there's a lot of traffic. Like, the only difference is, like, stores and restaurants are closed. Um, but I know there was like a ton of people protesting downtown for like the governor to like reopen Arizona or something. And so I'm not really sure like what's going to happen. Um, so it's a little weird right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just weird everywhere. Over here in Texas, um, a few days ago, there was like people rallying to reopen and everything. So who really knows? It's like day by day. I know. It's kind of scary. I know. Seriously. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you um, go to college and you're – and in my – in the bio that I said is that, you know, you're in urban planning. Um, how did you even get to that point where you wanted to major in – urban planning because me um I'm in urban planning too and a lot of people really don't know but I feel like it's such an important uh, space to be in as native peoples um so how did you get there it's actually like really funny the way that it happened so I originally started college at the University of Texas at San Antonio um and I was going for biology because I wanted to be a veterinarian 
and so I took some time off because like mental health issues and different things like that. Um, and so I moved, when I moved here, I continued and I was, I was originally majoring in bi uh, uh, biology and I was working for this like community veterinary clinic called VIP Pet Care. Um, I believe they have them like all over the country, but basically like they're like little mobile vet clinics that set up in pet stores. And so I started working for them and I was just doing vaccinations and like holding the dog whenever they, um, or the dogs or cats, whenever the vet was going to draw blood from the jugular. Sometimes I would uh, draw blood. Um, but there, there was two incidents that really changed our mind. So there was a cat that we had to take into the bathroom to do it because she was really scared. And like with animals, their veins move. So you basically like stick the needle under the skin and have to move it to find the vein. And so I was trying to do my best to just get the vein right away. And this cat like gave me this look and I got, I like got so emotional. And then the same thing happened with a dog. And like after that, I just like realized that emotionally I couldn't handle being a vet. So I decided to change. Um, and it kind of happened because I took an elective called Sustainable Cities. Uh, and it's basically t you kind of uh, talk about like sustainable cities and all that stuff. And so while I was taking it, we had to do like a project on where we like assessed the uh, vulnerabilities of, an, of a city and like the strengths of the city and like how sustainable they are. Um, and I actually chose Honolulu because a friend of mine, um, I had actually, I had written a paper on drafting like a environmental policy addressing like the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And so I um, had incorporated an interview that I did with one of my friends who's also uh, Hawaiian. And um, so I decided to do, to do it on that. And while I was like researching everything and kind of look at, looking at the indicators and the way that the island is kind of like set up, um, I really got interested in urban planning. And so uh, originally I was just strictly in sustainable sustainability when I switched, when I finally um, transferred to ASU because I started at a community college here to get in state. And from there I was doing it, but I noticed some of the courses that I was choosing were having to do with like just the environment or like urban planning. And I was like, okay, maybe I should change a major. So I changed it to sustainable community development. Um, and as I've been, as I was taking more courses, I was like, you know, what? I'm really interested, interested in environmental planning. And so right now I'm doing my undergraduate honors thesis uh, on um, ecological sustainability and or indigenous planning for eco ecological sustainability and political autonomy. Um, and so as I've been doing my research, I realized that there's a lack of indigenous planners. So there, And so what happens is you have a lot of pe outside people coming into our communities and trying to plan for us and not really taking into account uh, the cultural significance of, of the land and how we want things to be developed. They, it's kind of like uh, a one-size-fits-all type thing, kind of the way that they do things in cities. And so I realized that I wanted to go in, like I wanted to focus on um, indigenous planning. And uh, one of the, my biggest, I guess, influences was Ted Hohola. He's from, Al I think he's from Albuquerque. And I know he's Pueblo, but I don't know from which one. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in urban planning. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that because I feel like 
higher education is kind of a tricky area for indigenous and native peoples because, you know, sometimes people feel like, or I felt like universities aren't for me because like, yeah, like it doesn't really, all the universities don't really reflect who I am as an indigenous and native woman or person. But I like how you shared, even though you said you think it's kind of funny, but it's like, there's things that happen in your life that, you know, really do like, put on like an aha moment in your head and you're like steers you into a path that you necessarily wouldn't have thought you've ever been. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask too, like you shared with me um, earlier, not on recording, but um, that you studied abroad. So could you share with our listeners like how um, studying abroad or where you studied at and how that affected even more so your interest in urban planning and, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So I uh, studied abroad with the green program. Um, they're based out of Philadelphia and they do programs in Iceland, Japan, Nepal, Peru, and I think Costa Rica, but I'm not too sure on that one. Um, but I participated in my first one was in Japan of last year. I lost Japan in March of last year. And um, what we we focus on disaster mitigation, and it had to do with um, the what is it the uh, Fukushima nuclear disaster. Um, and for those who don't know, what, like mitigation is, it's basically just like um, I guess fixing something or presenting something. Like that's kind of the best way I can explain it. Um, but we toured like the actual nuclear power plants of every how everything happened. Um, we Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. Like you saw like the damage and everything, but the thing that I I was super um, uh, in shock about was that it the way that Western media was portraying it, it was actually not even as bad as as we were, I guess, seeing that it was. Um, and the thing that I thought was really cool is like the way that the prefecture kind of like responded to it because. Like obviously, a lot a lot of people were displaced from their homes, and so like they they built like temporary housing and all this stuff that they were able to um, move people from the area and like provide housing for them, which I thought was really cool. And when I was um, when we were we toured uh, another area near the power plant, and the way that they rebuilt that area um, and they planned it out, I thought was really cool because. They had certain character characteristics and the way that uh, the kind of they kind of reshaped the canal so that way whenever there is another tsunami it doesn't hit them as hard, uh, which I thought was really cool, and that that kind of helped me decide it. And the other thing that I, I was really happy about was I met people from like other parts of the world, like there were people from Canada and Australia, and I was the only person from like the West Coast. Like everybody was from like the New England area. So it definitely offered me like a different perspective on stuff. Um, but the one thing that I was kind of like, I, I guess I, I wasn't like in shock about it, but I was just kind of like, what is uh, this guy from Australia? His name was Andrew. Um, we were talking about me being native and like, he assumed I was like a Plains native because he was like, oh, like, did you guys wear headdresses and stuff? And I was like, well, my tribes didn't, but the planes did but they're like only taught 
about the Plains natives, which is kind of a universal thing because I feel like that happens in the U.S. also. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also studied abroad in Nepal this past December because I was lucky enough to get a scholarship, which I was super happy about. Um, and last year I was only able to go to Japan because I crowdfunded on Twitter. So like, I hear hear thank you to everybody who like boosted that and donated to me. Um, but when I went to Nepal, I was that experience was definitely like crazy um, because the way that their cities are like, or the way that Kathmandu it is like set up, it was it was so like sporadic, and you can tell that it wasn't really like designed. It kind of just happened, but it doesn't look bad the way that it is. Like it has a lot of character, um, and I just thought it was crazy because like people there's like no stoplights and stuff and people just kind of like drive however they want but there's like this understanding of how to drive there and there was like any car accidents but like here we have stoplights and like you know traffic signs and there's car accidents like left and right which I thought was kind of crazy um yeah and we we went to a rural village I think it was like in north east oh no south southeast Nepal I think um and we we stayed at a homestay with some villagers and we set up uh, a re- renewable energy microgrid um, for like to, to develop their area. Um, also, we added in a water pump. And so I knew that people lacked access to water around the world, but until you experience it, you don't, don't realize how bad it is um, because we had to use water bottles that we filled up from a jug. And like we were only allowed a certain amount of water because like that jug was like only for us and like there wasn't a lot left so I had to use one whole water bottle to like wash my face and brush my teeth and I was just like wow like this is crazy and like a lot of people in the Navajo Nation don't have access to water so I was really seeing firsthand like what our people go through and that kind of made me want to help even more um and we have to do capstone projects with the program so my project was basically doing what we did there in Nepal, but on the Navajo Nation, um, and we had to pick like an, an area. So I picked, I don't know, I don't remember the town, but they're right outside of Kienta, um, which is like the western part of the Navajo Nation. Um, but they definitely shaped shaped me and like kind of like they gave me, I feel like a kind of direction of where I want to go as far as helping um, my people goes. Yeah. Those sound like like very eye-opening experiences. I mean, I'm one of those hands-on people too that until I like actually do something like I I know about it, but yeah, it's not the same when you when you're there and like meeting other people and doing the work that you're like, "Oh my god, you know, I need to do this." Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, and and I met a few people that this past year who are Dene and like they shared with me about yeah have not having running water and like resources in Navajo Nation and how that's like you know there's a lot of rural areas and so I thought that was crazy I mean you know like because in Hawaii everybody has running water practically if you don't you have like a water catchment system uh-huh. but yeah, it's just like crazy hearing about how the American federal government, you know, they're supposed to be taking care of, you know, the native peoples of this land. And there's still tribes and people out there and communities, whole communities who don't have 
resources like to get water you know they have to go to a well um wait until it like the well could be dried up and they have to wait a whole day or or a couple of days until it fills back up again to get water you know exactly and like the the hard part with us is that uh we can't use the groundwater because of there's radiation poisoning because they used to mine for uranium there to power this we have a nuclear power plant like 30 miles west of Phoenix um, and they used to uh, mine uranium there for that. So the water, the groundwater there is like polluted. So we can't drink that. Yes. I mean, that's another thing that, thank you for bringing that up because I mean, I listened to your podcast, um, talk climate change to me, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and you have an episode on Arizona, I think it was, yeah, on Arizona and how, um, the, yeah, the ground over there and the groundwater and like that whole area has been affected because of, you know, the American government, like using it as a test grounds and that it's just craziness. Um, do you remember what episode that was? I think it was episode, um, one, two, oh, it's episode three. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was like a great leeway to your podcast. So Darren actually has his own podcast too. Like I said, it's called Talk Climate Change to Me. Um, and that's another reason why I wanted um, him to be on this show because, um, he's another resource. Like I, I love how indigenous and native peoples, we, we crowdsource and we create our own resources and, you know, we're very like, open because we realize that our our communities like need to be educated outside of like the regular education system because everybody knows that we've been lied to and you know all that kind of stuff about our histories um so yeah can you share with us about maybe how um talk climate change to me the podcast came about um Maybe like if you guys have a mission or like goals and how long you've been doing it. So the way that it happened is like really, really funny. So there was this girl because I had a tweet that went viral like two years ago, which is kind of how I got a lot of my followers. Um, uh, And there was this one girl who was from the Bay Area and she followed me. And so we had interacted a couple of times and a friend of hers named Jimena followed me as well because I would tweet a lot of environmental stuff. And so we had interacted on Twitter a few times. Um, and this past fall, or yeah, this past fall, I went to visit my um, one of my best friends, Tracy. She lives in Portland. And so I was hanging out with her in Portland. And apparently, Jimena lived in Portland. And I was like, what? So like, we met up. Um, and then we were like, I met up with her the night before I was leaving. And then um, when I got back to Phoenix, we were like, just talking about like environmental stuff. And we we're like joking around about starting a podcast and then it just kind of happened and we we're like, okay, like let's do this. So like we started it. Um, and like originally we were just going to like talk about environmental issues, but like, I feel like with podcasts, like you can say you're going to talk about something, but the direction can kind of go wherever it wants. So mm-hmm. we decided that we were going to feature people. And so that's what we started doing. Um, and it's kind of just taken a direction of its own. We're kind of just flexible and like, let it go with the flow type thing, just because uh, I feel like if if it's just like one specific topic and you don't really make it interesting, people aren't going to really listen, you know. But I feel you. 
<laughs> oh yeah. What avenues uh, is the podcast on? Is it only on um, Spotify or is it on various other outlets? It's on other outlets. It's on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, YouTube. And if people actually want to talk climate change on your podcast, how would they um, get in touch with you? Or um, yeah, if, if anybody wants to be like featured and like you want to talk uh, talk to us about one of the um, issues related to climate change, just feel free to DM me on Instagram. Uh, it's my app. My handle is Turquoise Hippie. Um, my account is private though. So like follow me and then like, I'll confirm it. And then just like, uh, just message me and then I can, I can, uh, add in Jimena and then we can talk about it and set up a, a time and date that works for all of us to record. Cool. Um, so also in regards to climate change, um, how do you feel climate change has contributed to COVID-19 or like, how do you think COVID-19 is affecting climate change? And I know there's been some talk too about how the planet itself is benefiting from the, these stay-at-home, stay-at-home orders around the world. So I just wanted to know, like, what are your thoughts on everything COVID-19 and climate change, I guess? I think that it's definitely like helping the planet, like a hundred percent, like, one of my friends, um, she lives in LA and she has really bad asthma. And she said that like this past month was the first time that she didn't have to use her inhaler a lot, which I was like, oh, like that's crazy. Um, and what I noticed here in Phoenix is like during the winters and the springtime, we have a lot of um, like air quality advisories. So like unhealthy, like you'll see it when you're driving on the freeways, it says unhealthy air quality advisories because for some reason people in Phoenix like, it gets into 70 degrees and they want to like burn firewood in their fireplaces. And I'm just like, uh, it's still warm out, but like whatever. And so also with how big our population is and like, since it is a valley and it's kind of like a bowl, the pollution just sticks and stays here. Um, and so if you're like in the Northern part of Phoenix and kind of driving towards downtown, you can see like the cloud of smog just around the downtown skyline. Um, but I was driving from up North, like, two weeks ago because uh, I had to go pick up something on that side of town and I was driving down and that was the first time I didn't see anything downtown and I was like wow like that is so crazy um, and also like traffic is good t- traffic is down which means there's less emissions going into the air less carbon um, yeah which I think is like really good and I just hope that it, it really gives insight to people to realize that like we should be using like not relying on our cars as much like it's difficult for an area like Phoenix because the Phoenix area is very set up for cars. Like it's just kind of urban sprawl. It keeps growing further out. We don't really have a good public transit system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not very walk walkable. Um, there are some areas that are, but during the summertime, like it's, you can't really walk outside because it's so hot. Like this week we're supposed to get into the hundreds. And like, after this, it just like, goes up and like it can get into like the 120s which is like crazy (laughs) i know i'm like this is my first time living gonna be living like in texas which is i'm in dallas right now but you know like in a crazy place where the temperature goes above 100 so i'm like oh yeah (laughs) i don't know what to expect this summer um so how has 
being a fellow Indigenous and Native person been for you, like, in the podcast world? And maybe, like, how do you get interviews, too? Um, so I, I personally like it um, because I feel like having an – like, ha- people – so having Indigenous peoples have podcasts, I feel like um, gains ex- – it gives us exposure where – there might not be. So um, I know we look at like the stats on the podcast and we have people who listen like from all over the world. And so I like that because they'll, they'll like hear it and they'll understand that like, we're still here, you know? And the other thing that I like is Jimena's Latinx. And so like it, I like that, that we're both like people of color and that we have a podcast. So it, I, I feel like it gives us more representation um, the way that we get people on the podcast is just kind of through people we know right now. Um, I know that I, the, our first interview was with Charlie Scott, which is a really good friend of mine. Uh, episode three was, was with, uh, Honmana, who's, uh, she's autumn and she's lives down in Tucson. And then the third one was a friend of Jimena. Also, he has his own like organization and stuff. Um, so I feel like a lot of it is just through like personal connections. Um, we've kind of been trying to like scope out people on Twitter too, to see who they can. Um, I kind of jumped the gun and said I was going to delete my Twitter account, but I don't think I am. I think I'm just going to be off for a couple of months because like you said earlier, like Twitter is a really good resource for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a good cleanse is always necessary. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, so I know that you're a practitioner and that you do beadwork. Um, can you share with our listeners, um, how you got into it? Yeah. Like who taught you, um, has it been like a new found thing that a love that you started to do um, and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So like, it sort of just happened. Uh, the summer of 2018 is when I kind of started because I got on Twitter and this was before, like I even had a lot of followers. Like I think I followed like maybe three or four other natives because I hadn't been really exposed to like indigenous Twitter and stuff. And one of them retweeted this like really cool necklace. It was super pretty. It was like, it it looked kind of like a choker, but it was like a metal bar at the bottom that kind of came down. And this person like beaded on the bar. And I was like, wow, that is so cool. And I, I had always wanted to learn, but, like I said, I'm, I'm very disconnected. And so I didn't really have people to teach me. And um, so I just like really studied the piece and I was like, how did they do this? And I just like, I practiced on hoops cause I was like, okay, I need some type of metal bar thingy to beat on. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna try on a hoop earring, like that'll be fine. And so I practiced a bunch of times and like my first four pairs were not that good. Like they were pretty loose and I wasn't even planning on selling them. I just kind of gave them to friends at work and they just kind of like super glued them to make them like not loose. Um, and then finally, when I had some really good ones, I had posted them on Twitter because I was going to give them to my mom and my aunt and my sister. And so I posted them on Twitter and like a lot of people retweeted them. And then I had people like DMing me like, oh my God, do you sell these? And I was like, what? Like, no, I don't. And then I was like, you know what? This would be a really good extra income for me because mm-hmm. like I, I was a server and so like a lot of people like a lot of people may not know this but like serving is really inconsistent so like there's some weeks where I'd make enough money to like buy food and put for rent and there was other weeks where I could barely even scrape by and so that kind of helped me 
balance out my income level. So I was able to like have food and be able to pay for my living expenses and my tuition. Um, and the whole reason why I started donating to the Navajo Water Project was because I didn't feel comfortable like profiting off of being native when I didn't even really fully understand what it meant to be native. So I decided that, well, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I need to give back mm-hmm. to my community. So that's kind of where I decided to do that. But I honestly didn't even know about the Navajo Water Project until I came across a little native boy on Twitter um, or Alan. He's super, he's super cool. Um, and he's like a, an ambassador for them. And that's kind of how I was exposed to that organization. So what are your like next goals moving forward academically or like through your job or personally in podcasts and you're like an activist too? Yeah. Um, so I definitely want to get more involved with our podcast um, and kind of, cause I'm about to graduate and so I'll, I'll have more time to do so. Um, I also, thank you. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Um, I'm also, I'm trying to get an internship over my gap year, um, but it's kind of hard right now because of like COVID-19. I'm looking for paid internships, obviously, because I don't, I don't have money to just be volunteering. Um, but I definitely want to go to grad school um, and focus on like environmental planning. Um, I'm looking at University of Montana, Northern Arizona University, and the University of British Columbia right now. Um, and so that would be my master's. I I'm considering getting a PhD at some point, but I haven't decided yet because I feel like I like to, I like the, in theory, I like the idea of getting a PhD, but I don't know if I'm like prepared. To do all the labor. Yeah. Especially because like my, my mental health is kind of like struggling. So I'm Mm -hmm. just like, I don't know. And so I know that like I, whenever I get really stressed with school, like obviously like my mental health isn't in the best state. And so I'm like, I don't know if I can handle that emotionally, but I am willing to kind of try. Um, I'm also like thinking about making a YouTube channel, but like, I don't know if I want to do that, but uh, because I want to talk about like native issues and like, also I just got two bunnies. So like, I thought it'd be cool to like have a YouTube channel just for them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love your bunnies. They're so cute. (laughs) Thanks. Um, uh, I think those are awesome goals. I mean, you can always just try. And if it doesn't work out, then you try it (laughs) for your PhD. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to mention one of the other one. So like I eventually want to open up my own planning firm um, that focuses, that strictly focuses on like indigenous planning, but like all aspects of it. Um, And I was talking to my friend, Peyton about it too um because she's going she's about to graduate uh as an environmental engineer and so we've been talking about it and like I like the idea of doing that because I was I was inspired by this woman named Kim I don't remember her last name but I know she she owns a planning firm called fourth world design group here in Phoenix um and my mentor who is uh, directing me for my thesis um she had me sit in on one of her classes because she was featuring Kim for like an ind- Indigenous Planning 101 class. And I was like, okay, so I sat in on it and like just hearing her talk about it and like the work she does with the Navajo Nation and other Native communities, I was like, you know what, like I really want to open up my own firm because I feel like that would be a really good tool for 
uh, tribal nations and like other indigenous communities because there are some tribes who do have planning departments and then there's other that others that don't and so they kind of just build off of what other tribes are doing and so I'd rather like either go and consult for them or operate as their planning department until we can get one set up for them. Yes, I co-sign that. I've I've been yeah. thinking about that too, but I think there just needs to be more, yeah, indigenous and native centered consulting firms, like or like yeah, especially for planning. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess wrapping it up. Um, one of my last questions is like, what do you see the future looking like for? you know, your own people and, like, Native Indigenous people? I mean, it's a so, big question, but, like, you know, whatever comes up in your mind. Yeah, no. So I definitely, um, as, like, I'm sure everyone is starting to notice, a lot of tribes are starting to act upon their sovereignty um, and really enforce enforce it on, like, a, a, a as a way to stand up to, to uh, settler governments, like the U.S. government, Um and I think that's really important because for a very long time, they they just kind of, even continuously right now, they kind of feel like they can just do whatever they want. And so I like the fact that we're standing up for ourselves more now, um, especially like our generation. Um, I feel like as we get older, things are going to change like really quickly. Um, and I feel like if we don't, like if we don't get our land back, like I feel like it's going to be very, very, very difficult for like, Settler governments really just try to do anything to us at in the future, and I, I think that would be really cool. Um, as far as like the Pacific goes, like for like uh, I think that like for I I picture like y'all like just getting rid of settler government like interaction, like kind of how Hawaii is like not even a state; it's just like an occupied territory. Like mm-hmm. I see you guys like getting your land back and kind of just like kicking them like the u.s government away because they're stupid um so like but i i think that like indigenous people around the world like i think that we're starting to like rise up and i think that we're gonna be able to have a larger say in our own lives if that makes any sense and and also like as far as like protecting the land goes yes um okay so so last, last thing, do you have any last thoughts or any other messages that you want to share um, with our listeners at this time? And um, maybe if you want to drop, again, like your social handles or your contacts um, for people to get in touch with you. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think as far as like, I would just like to say, like kind of direct this at like disconnected natives and indigenous people or just like indigenous people who maybe aren't embracing their culture and stuff. Like I would say that like, as far as disconnected natives go, like just do the work to reconnect because you can't, it's like, like, yeah, you may feel like it's going to be really difficult. And even if you don't live within your ancestral territory, you can get on Twitter and follow people who are from your tribe or your group or your people. Um, and you, there's a lot of resources for you. It's just, you have to do the work to find them. Um, and as far as like, indigenous people who maybe aren't proud of who they are or like don't really care about their culture like just you know try to try to be more aware of the fact that like we in in order for our culture to survive and we need people who are going to carry it on and that involves you being proud of who you are 
you know? Obviously, I'm not trying to dictate what people should do, but I just think it's important to really embrace who you are as an Indigenous person. Yes, putting those positive thoughts and affirmations into the <laughs> our, our brothers, sisters, cousins, like, lives. <laughs> yes. And then if anybody wants to, like, follow me on my social media handles, uh, Twitter and Instagram, it's Turquoise Hippie. Um, like I said, both of my accounts are on private, so just, like, follow me, and like I said, I'll confirm you. Um, I don't have a Facebook right now, but my beading shop is on Instagram. It's uh, oceansun.bear. Um, I also have, like, an account for my rabbits, but, like, it's Hush and Kea, but, like, that might be difficult to spell, so you'll see it in my personal account's bio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, Mahalo Nunui for sharing uh, your story with Native Stories. It was so good to connect with you. Um, and if you all want to further connect with us here at Native Stories, please do. You can follow us um, on Facebook. Just search Native Stories for daily, daily updates on Native kind mail or things. And download our mobile app um, and listen to us on all streaming podcast outlets. Just search Native Stories and make sure to share with us um, and to other people like your Ohana, Ho'opili, and friends and whoever you like um, about Native Stories. And yes, we pride ourselves as being your resource of truth-telling and Indigenous knowledge. Um, so the more you share with other people, the more like our indigenous and native knowledge gets shared and known. So sending everyone plenty aloha and please stay safe out there during this COVID-19 and I'll see y'all next time. Peace.